It is a delight for Sherry and I to be with you today. I know you're not here for me. I know you're here for the meeting, and that's okay. Sometimes you see the orange sign first. You're cruising along the interstate, making good time, enjoying a song on the radio, or if you're like me, a ball game on the radio, and you see the orange sign and your spirit begins to sink, construction zone ahead. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but um, when I'm driving, I sort of play a game that I want to try to get there first within the limits of the law. And uh, growing up, uh, I can remember that dad didn't like to stop for what he called dumb reasons, like bathrooms and food. Because when we pulled off, all the cars that we had passed for the last hour caught up and went past us, and we weren't going to get there first. Even though they weren't going to the same place we were going, it didn't matter. But I think I still have some of that DNA in my body. When I'm driving on Interstate 80 and I have a schedule and I have a place that I want to be, and usually it's a, a worthy place, I'm not goofing off, I'm doing something good, at least in my mind, and I see those signs and I begin to realize that two lanes are going to be going into one lane very soon. Now, maybe someone who works for PennDOT, if there's someone here who works for PennDOT, maybe you could answer this question after the service. But why do we have to have 27 miles of one lane closed before we get to four guys that are fixing one pothole in the road? I don't, maybe it's for their safety. I don't know. But I know, especially living in Pennsylvania most of my life, I know that road construction is an inevitable and good thing. I know that they need to be repaired. I know that the weather and the big trucks and the wear and tear create an environment where it is absolutely necessary. And yet, for some reason, when I see those orange cones, there is something in me that begins to cringe. I don't like it. I didn't plan for this. This isn't what I wanted. This isn't how I wanted to spend my day staring up at the back of an 18-wheeler as we very slowly move through the construction zone. There's a reason for my feelings. I can sit there and wax philosophical because I've got some unexpected time on my hands. One reason is this. My agenda is going to be shifted the way that I wanted my day to unfold is now going to be different. And that's why I don't like it, because I like to be in control of my agenda. Secondly, my schedule is going to be altered. I like to be there on time. I like to be known as a person who is on time. Nay, I like to be known as a person who gets there 10 minutes early. And now I'm going to run the risk of being late, missing something important, and ruining my reputation. And I don't like that. As I sit there contemplating, I also realize that on a very basic level, my progress is being slowed. I wanted to be at that exit by that time, and now I'm not going to be there. I'm still going to get to that exit, but I'm not going to be at that exit at the time that I had allotted in my head to be there. And I don't like that either. If you have your Bibles with you, would you open with me, please, this morning to the book of Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, as we take a look at construction zones. Philippians 2 
And the text that I want to read for you, it's a little bit of a long text, but we'll get started. It's Philippians 2, beginning with verse 1. Paul, writing to the church at Philippi, says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded and having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Philippians is often referred to as the Apostle Paul's thank you letter to the church at Philippi. He loved these people. They were very dear to him. And the whole of the book of Philippians is his communicating to them gratitude and thanksgiving for their life. And that certainly comes through in the text. But the verse that I want to sort of highlight for us today is verse 13. And the reason that we read all of that passage was because I wanted to give you the context that was going on around these thoughts. Everything from verse 1 through verse 11 is sort of the ramp up to what Paul is saying as he begins in verse 12. And he says, therefore. Now, I was taught in hermeneutics that whenever you see therefore, you always want to find out what it's there for. So those first 11 verses build the story so that we begin to understand what it is that Paul is saying. But when we get to verse 12, he says, therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only when I've been around, but when I'm not around, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And then he gives them this thought. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Translation, God is at work. God 
is at work. Church at Philippi, hear this. God is at work in you. Life is not easy for you. You're experiencing some persecution. You're experiencing some hardships. But God is at work and he has a construction zone that looks just like you. And I want you to be aware of it. And that's important because as we look around at our lives, sometimes we see all of the mess of the construction. Have you ever been in a place where they had a sign up that said, pardon our appearance, we're doing renovation work? I could wear a t-shirt every day of my life that says that. Pardon the mess. God's still working on me to make me what he wants me to be for his good purpose. But in the meantime, as we are experiencing that God at work, we are living in a very personalized construction zone. My life is a mess. My family is a mess. My health might be a mess. My job situation might be a mess. My finances are a mess. My church might be a mess. I'm a mess. And yes, God is at work in the mess. It didn't just happen that way. It's happening because according to verse 13, God has a purpose and a will that he is seeking to execute in our lives. And the construction is a part of that plan. It isn't all from the devil. We don't pray it away. We walk into the construction and say, God, you're at work. Israel was in captivity to Egypt. And yet God was raising up Moses. Moses was in the palace. He wasn't with the people, but God was at work. Moses killed a guy. But God was at work. Moses ran away for his life, but God was at work. Moses' life was a mess, but God was at work. In every situation that looks like a mess, God is at work in your life today. And we look around and we just see the dust and the debris and the incompleteness and the fractures and we go, oh, this is terrible. I wish it weren't this way. But God is at work. 1928, a candy maker set out to make a caramel candy covered in chocolate. Doesn't that sound good? And his goal was to make a round caramel covered in chocolate, but he could not get the round part. Every time he tried to make it perfectly round, it came out misshapen. And finally, he declared... I can't work with these. These are duds. (laughs) Do you know how many millions and millions of milk duds have been sold in the last hundred years? We look at our lives and we go, I am so misshapen. I'm a dud. And God says, I can sell that. I can work in you. I am working in you. But what that means is, If you go back to my three philosophical waxings, what that means is, number one, my agenda is going to get shifted. If God is at work in my life, I guarantee you the one thing that I'm going to need to do is to surrender my will, my agenda, and say, not my will, but your will be done. Because the construction that God is doing doesn't look like what it started out as. Duh, if it did, he wouldn't have needed to do the construction. 
but he identified something that needed to be changed. So the first thing I need to do if I'm going to walk into God's construction zone is I'm going to need to acknowledge, God, you have an agenda. I'm going to give up my will for yours. Secondly, my schedule is going to be altered. I have a timetable. This is the way I want my day to go. At 10 o'clock, I'm going to do this. At 11 o'clock, I'm going to do this. At 3 o'clock, I'm going to do this. God comes in and says, if I'm going to go to work in your life, you're going to need to surrender that, and you're going to need to yield. And this is why the psalmist was constantly talking about wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. It's why Jesus said to the disciples, go into that upper room and pray and wait for the Spirit. Because if you go out in your own strength, if you go out with your own timetable, you're going you're gonna to go too soon. Wait on the Lord. God, what is your timetable for this? I know what mine is. What's yours? I yield mine to yours. And then thirdly, my progress is going to be slowed. I'm not going to get where I was planning on getting in the time that I wanted to get there. If God is at work in my life, I need to trust the truth from Scripture that says, In his time, he makes all things beautiful. He will make it beautiful. He will. He has promised that he is going to do a good work in my life and in your life, but he will only do it in his time. And my goals, my progress are probably not going to come off the way I envision them. One of the ways that I know for sure that I am not receiving God's construction zone is when I walk around going, it's not supposed to be like this. This isn't what I had in mind. This isn't happening as fast as I wanted it to happen. But God's at work. Trust him. Because he, according to Ephesians 4, he is forming me into a person who looks like Jesus. That's what the finished product is going to look like. That's the goal. If God has created some dust and debris in your life, it is for this reason, not to punish you, not to harm you, not to defeat you, but to shape you into a person who looks more like Jesus. I'm exchanging my character for the character of Jesus. So everything in me that is ugly, God is swapping out for something that is beautiful. And everything in me that has a real sharp edge to it, he is knocking off that edge and smoothing it out to make it look more like Jesus. That's his plan. A.W. Tozer put it this way. If God sets out to make you an unusual Christian, he is not likely to be as gentle as he is usually pictured by popular teachers. A sculptor does not use a manicure set to reduce the rude, unshapely marble to a thing of beauty. The saw, the hammer, and the chisel are cruel tools, but without them, the rough stone must remain forever formless and unbeautiful. To do his supreme work of grace within you, he will take from your heart everything you love most. Everything you trust in will go from you. Piles of ashes will lie where your most precious treasures used to be. This is not to teach the sanctifying power of poverty. If to be poor made man holy, every tramp on a park bench would be a saint. But God knows the secret of removing things from our hearts while they still remain to us. What he does is to restrain us from enjoying them. He lets us have them, but makes us psychologically unable to let our hearts go out to them. Thus, they are useful without being harmful. Another author anonymously wrote these words. When God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man, when God wants to mold a man to play the noblest part, when he yearns with all his heart to create so great and bold a man that all the world should be amazed, watch his methods. Watch his ways. 
How he ruthlessly perfects whom he royally elects. How he hammers and hurts him and with mighty blows converts him into trial shapes of clay which only God understands. While his tortured heart is crying and he lifts beseeching hands. How he bends but never breaks when his good he undertakes. How he uses whom he chooses and with every purpose fuses him by every act induces him to try his splendor out. God knows what he's about. Some of you are experiencing the hammer and the chisel even today in your life. Some of you are dealing with pain, not only physical pain, but psychological pain, the pain of a broken heart, the pain of a family that just is not what you thought it was going to be like. God's at work. That's his promise. And he's not working to punish you or to hurt you. He is working to perfect you into a person who looks like Jesus. God is using the construction zones of life to mold you into a person, a man, a woman, a young person who looks like Jesus. Your frustrations, your defeats, your confusion, your pain, every facet of life is in play. And when you feel your agenda slipping away, that's not what I wanted That's his hand at work. And when you feel your schedule slipping away, not now, Lord. That's his agenda at work. And when you sense that feeling of, I'm not making progress, I'm not moving forward, I'm not going to get to the exit the way I want to, that's his hand at work. God is at work accomplishing his plan for your life. One of my favorite stories in all of the New Testament comes from the book of Luke chapter 5. The disciples, professional fishermen, were out all night fishing and they failed. They came up with nothing. Not just a few fish. The story says they came up nothing. We came up with nothing. And Jesus, the carpenter, enters the story. The carpenter. Did I mention that Jesus wasn't a fisherman? He was a carpenter. And the carpenter makes a suggestion. What do you try putting the nets on the other side? Everything in Peter, the fisherman, must have gone, Oh, Jesus, I love you, but you have no idea what you're talking about. But Peter said, Okay, I'll do it. And one of the great stories of the New Testament... The catch of fish, so big, the catch of fish, that the boat started to sink and they needed to call for help from other people. The night of failed fishing fishing was just the preamble to the story of God being at work. If we didn't have a failed night of fishing, we wouldn't have a great catch of fish. But God said, I'm going to put you through a night of failure so that you will see my hand at work. When I go through a time of failure, my response is not always, God, I'm anticipating something great. Sometimes I just feel like I'm failing. And then I'm reminded that God is at work. And he's at work in your life and in mine today. My problem is one of two things happens. When I find myself in a construction zone, one of two things happens. First of all, I try to get around it. Now, you'd be so surprised at how uh, offensive that is to the state police. I can very clearly see that if I just go into that strip of grass in the middle, I could get down and around and go back the other way to the exit, and they, they don't like that at all. Finding my way around a construction zone, in my mind, 
is perfectly logical, but it's not a good idea. And when we encounter what we would call a slowdown in life, one of the things that we often do is we start calculating and figuring out, what do I need to do to get around it? I will manipulate these circumstances. I will make this happen. I'll tug, I'll pull, I'll shift, I'll coerce, I'll use my influence, I'll do whatever I can so that I don't have to deal with the pain of the slowdown. And the other thing we do is sometimes we put our car in park and we hop out and we go up to the PennDOT workers and we say, let me help. (laughs) They don't like that either. Here, God, let me give you a hand. I don't really know what I'm doing, but I'm going to jump in here and I'm going to start working. I don't have any direction. I don't have any particular skill or knowledge, but I'm just going to exer- I'm going to work harder at this. And the attitude of working harder is the antithesis of prayer. Prayer says stop and seek the Lord. But when I'm not praying, I'm working harder. Can I tell you that when I I work with a lot of different churches, I don't deal with churches very often who are not working hard. In fact, more often than not, the churches that I work with are working too hard and not praying enough. What do we need to do to make this happen? We want our church to grow. What do we need to do to make it happen? And I say, well, the first thing you just pray. And they go, okay, what's second? Church of 100 people. I've always said this, this isn't new. Church of 100 people, prayer meeting, 10. Covered dish, 50. Come pray, crickets. Come eat, multitudes. We've got to pray, folks. Because when we come into a construction zone, our natural impulses are not going to accomplish what we think they are. We need to stop and say, Lord, What are you doing here? Because I very well may cause more problems by working harder or trying to find a way out than if I just actually slow down long enough to pray. Let's get back to the text. A couple of ideas here before we get back to to verse 13. If there's two points to this sermon, which might be pointless, I want to to leave you with these thoughts. The first is, when we really begin to believe that God is actively working in our lives to mold us into people who look like Jesus, there is not a single area of my life that's out of bounds. There's nothing, no facet of my experience on earth that isn't raw material for God's sanctifying work in his life. So perhaps today, as an illustration, perhaps today that which is burdening your heart the most is your children. Sherry and I have walked that path. We know what that feels like, to have our children be our burden. And yet I can very directly tell you that God has used the burden for our adult children to do a sanctifying work in my life that causes me to stop and pray even though my impulse is to get out and fix it. Here, let me help. Let me tell you what to do. Kids are worse than state police when you do that. (laughs) My job, your job, is the raw material. You say, oh, my boss, my boss is impossible. 
What if I told you that your boss is an instrument of God used to sanctify you? Everybody wants to have a Christian boss. And if you do, praise God. But if you don't, God used Pharaoh as his instrument to free the Egyptians. Your unsanctified, ungodly, unkind boss may very well be an instrument that God is using to do a construction project in your life. Don't run away from it. Don't quit. My career, my health, everybody wants to be healthy, but when we're not, can we see that as maybe an area of my life that God is using to make me look like Jesus? Every event, every facet of life becomes a color on the palette of God's painting in your life. Oh, this is a little dark area. Yeah, but it's going to make the lighter areas pop. The other thing I want to leave you with is my perspective on failure changes dramatically when I see myself in a construction zone. This didn't go at all the way I wanted it to go. I had a plan. And my plan involved this, this, and this coming together, and it was going to look like this, and it was just going to be great. And I can't tell you how many times my plans have never come together. Not only do I not have all my ducks in a row, many times I don't even know where my ducks are. And yet even when I would label as failure, God is using to sanctify me. And some of the biggest lessons that I've learned have been the most frustrating moments. Why can this not happen the way I want it to? And my heavenly father sometimes whispers to me, because you don't always do what I want you to do. Come back to the text with me as we close. Philippians 2, verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. You know what that means? He is our example. Jesus went through a construction zone, not for his sanctification, but he allowed himself to go through a construction zone because there was something he was working on that was going to be awesome when it was done. But there was a lot of, not dust, there was a lot of blood involved. Philippians 2, 5, who being... Uh, Verse 6, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. He took the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself. He submitted his agenda to the Father and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And we hear him crying out in the garden, if there is any other way. He was saying, Father, this is not what I had in mind. But he finished his prayer by saying, not my will, but your will be done. He's my example. When I encounter the unexpected and the unwelcome, Jesus is my example. Because even though he revealed his humanity, he ended in that place of saying, God, I want what you want more than what I want. I submit to you. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, verse 12, therefore, my dear friends, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you to will and to do 
in order to fulfill his good purpose. Okay. So what it's, what's it supposed to look like when I go into a construction zone? Give me something to walk away with so that I know what I'm supposed to look like when I get there. All right, go back to verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. When I'm in a construction zone, don't get caught up with the question, how's this impacting me? Because it very well may be that what God is doing is for the benefit of someone else. He may be slowing me down for someone else's benefit. I'm I'm not the only person that drives on that road. Would that it were. Maybe this isn't even about me. Not everything is. Verse 3 continues, do nothing out of vain conceit. How's this going to look? Oh, the late thing. It's going to damage my reputation. People are going to look at me differently. They're going to think differently about me. Paul says, value others above yourself. Those are the easy ones. Go to verse 14. If I'm in a construction zone, I have specific commands from God's word. Do everything without grumbling. I always thought that was my right as an American citizen to grumble. But God says, when you're going through a difficult time, when you're being stopped, slowed down, when there's dust and dirt and debris and your agenda is just falling apart, do it without grumbling. Can you imagine what our lives would look like if instead of embracing every hardship with grumbling and complaining, we embraced it with, God, what are you up to? I can't wait to see what you're going to do. This is going to be beautiful when you're done. I welcome it. It's not what I had in mind, but I've surrendered my will to yours. So I'm just going to wait on you and prayerfully watch when you bring something good out of something difficult. And then verse 15, the outcome. When we go through our construction zones with those attitudes, verse 15 says, then you will become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. What's the outcome? When we go through one of life's construction zones and we embrace God's will over mine, his timetable over mine, his plan over mine, and we do it with the right attitude, no complaining or grumbling, watch what happens. You shine like a star. Anybody want to argue with me that we're living in a dark time? Anybody want to change the world? God's plan. God's plan. We shine brightest when the world is at its darkest. A tiny light in a very, very dark room shines brilliantly. And if you want to shine for Jesus in an increasingly dark world, this is the way to do it. God's in this. God's in this. 
in all the things that we could cite that are going wrong in our world right now. God hasn't abandoned it. He's at work. He's doing something. What's my part? Where do I stand? What do I sing? Give me my lines, Lord. I want to be a part of what you're doing. And he says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to acknowledge that I'm at work. And I want you to acknowledge that your agenda has to be submitted to mine. And if you do that, people are going to notice. They're going to notice you. But they're not going to notice you because of how angry you are or how fearful you are. They're going to notice you because of how filled with my peace you are, how content you are, how joy-filled you are, even in the midst of a dark world. That's what he's calling us to. A couple of weeks ago, I think it was on a Sunday, Sherry called my attention. My wife loves God's creation. I can't tell you how much my wife loves God's creation. She is always the first one to want to go leaf peeping or to want to find country vistas where we can just see the beauty of God's work. And she is always the first one to announce that there's going to be some sort of event in the sky. When we were on our sabbatical a few years ago, we got up at, oh, dark 30, and we went out and stood in the cold and watched the moon set. I had never seen the moon set before, and I'm not sure that we're supposed to, but we did. (laughs) I've seen sunrises, I've seen sunsets, but we watched the moon set, and it was just absolutely breathtaking. And three weeks ago, she said, hey, there's a full moon out tonight. And I stepped out onto our back deck, and I looked up in the sky, and you know what? I did not have to say where. Because it was pitch dark out. But up in the sky, hanging low, big as could be, was a full moon. And I noticed it. And I just stood there in awe of its beauty. And then my mind went back to middle school where I was taught that the moon has absolutely no light of its own. What makes the moon beautiful is reflecting the light of the sun. And if you want your life to be beautiful and you're in the midst of a difficult season, a challenging season filled with pain and hardship and slowdowns and dust and dirt and debris and pain, reflect the light of the sun and people will notice and they will give glory to the one to whom it belongs. Jesus, we thank you Our pain is real. Our hardships are real. We're not wishing them away and we're not pretending that they don't exist. When life hurts, it hurts. Our comfort comes from the fact that in your hands, there is nothing arbitrary. There's nothing beyond your control. And as we yield to you, We get the privilege of simply waiting to see what you're going to do to produce something beautiful out of what right now just looks ugly. So God, we yield ourselves to you. Do what you want in us and through us for your glory as we live our lives as bright lights in a dark world. We can only do this through Jesus, and that's why we pray. Amen.